Thank you, choir, orchestra. I don't know that I've heard that before. I really like that. Uh, part of it is Horatio Spafford song, a hymn, and uh, then it has been added to, I guess, but I enjoyed that. Thank you so much. Even those people who don't believe in the deity of Jesus believe that he was a master teacher. Jesus taught with parables. In other words, he told stories. And he told stories that had spiritual meaning. For instance, he told the story about a sower who went out to sow. And that is a story that teaches us about the sharing of the gospel and the way people respond to the gospel. There are times when we sow the seed of the gospel and people embrace it. There are times when they do not. But that was a parable Jesus told to teach us that lesson. He also told the story about a mustard seed that was planted and he said that it grew up to be a tree and the birds would come and roost in that tree. And the meaning of that story was the, the growth of the kingdom, that as we sow the seeds of God's word, people are saved and the kingdom grows. So Jesus taught by telling stories. He also taught by the use of experiences, especially with the disciples. And probably we would say the best teacher is the teacher of experience. When I was in high school, I one summer raked hay, hauled hay, went on the wheat harvest, and as a result of that experience, I decided I was not going to be a farmer. I guess I was a little like the guy who was out in the field, and he uh, is an old farmer. There's a mule hooked up to the plow. His hands are on the plow, and he's looking up and said, God, that sun is so hot. And this field is so grassy, and that mule is so stubborn, I do believe you've called me to preach. <laughs> well, sometimes God can call us to preach through experiences in life. So he taught with stories, he taught with experiences, and he also taught through miracles. Now, we are looking at the miracles of Jesus, or at least some of them. We have seen turning the water into wine, the healing of the nobleman's son, the healing of the paralytic, and today we're going to look at another miracle. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. We'll begin reading in verse 22. Now it came about on one of those days that he and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. And they came to him and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this? that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. There are three or four lessons I want us to learn from this parable today. The first is that seeing is not believing. Probably most of us believe that if I were to see a miracle, 
then I would never doubt again. I mean, I would like to see Jesus walk on water, wouldn't you? I would like to see him raise the dead back to life. I would like to see him heal the blind. I would like to see some of those miracles. So we think that if I saw a miracle, I would never doubt again. My faith would be solid. And yet the reality is the disciples had seen the miracles of Christ. Even Judas. Judas saw the miracles of the Lord and yet he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Ladies and gentlemen, the fact is miracles oftentimes do not result in enhanced faith. The disciples had seen the miracles. In fact, uh, Matthew in his account puts the feeding of the 5,000 immediately in front of this miracle. You recall that Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and he fed the multitude miraculously. After seeing that miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, they are doubting the Lord again. In fact, Mark records in chapter 6, 52, they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. They had seen the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, but the Bible says they had learned nothing. The miracle they witnessed did not enhance their faith. Now we see the same thing with the Hebrews. They saw the miracles of God on their behalf. When they were in bondage to the Egyptians, the Lord miraculously sent the plagues and they witnessed those plagues with the water turning into blood, with the frogs, the lice, the flies, all of those things, those miracles that God performed so that they would be released. They were protected when they were released. They came to the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army was behind them. And the Bible tells us that the Red Sea parted and they walked across on dry land. I'd love to have seen that, wouldn't you? There are some people who don't believe in miracles, of course. And, and uh, there was a professor once who was teaching this, and, uh, and he said that, now we know that the Red Sea was about two feet deep at this place. Well, there was a young seminarian who believed the Bible was the Word of God, and he says, man, that's an even greater miracle than I thought. He said, I just told you that the Red Sea was about two feet deep at this place. He said, yes, and the entire Egyptian army was drowned in two feet of water. <laughs> God had protected them. God had provided for them. He had provided manna from heaven for them to eat. He provided quail. He brought forth water from a rock. God had miraculously protected and provided for the Hebrews, and yet they still had doubts. In Exodus chapter 14, verse number 11, then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Isn't that amazing? God had miraculously released them from bondage. God had miraculously protected them. God had miraculously provided for them. And then they say, did you just bring us out here to die in the wilderness? 
They had seen the miracles, but that did not build their faith. One of the great miracles in the Bible, in my opinion, is when Elijah had challenged the prophets of Baal to a contest on Mount Carmel. And uh, as they assemble there to find out whose God was the real God, was it Baal or was it Jehovah God? Whose God was the real God? Elijah had challenged them, so they erected an altar. They put the sacrifice on it. The prophets of Baal began to cry out and to scream and cut themselves and so forth for Baal to respond. Nothing happened. And then Elijah came and asked them to pour water on it. They poured water on the sacrifice. And the Bible says that the fire of God fell, consumed the sacrifice, destroyed, killed the prophets of Baal. Tremendous miracle. And immediately after that miracle, in the very next chapter, immediately after that miracle, Jezebel threatened his life. She said, I am going to do to you what you did to my prophets by tomorrow. Now, what would you think? Elijah just seen an incredible miracle. The fire from heaven fell. He had witnessed this miracle. Now he is threatened. How did he respond? Well, the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, 3, and he was afraid and arose and ran for his life. Here is a man, a prophet of God. He had just seen the miracle of God, the fire fall. And then Jezebel threatened his life and the Bible says that he was afraid and ran for his life. And we see him there under the juniper tree. Are we any different? Are we any different? See, we think that if I saw a miracle, if I saw the power of God, then I would never doubt again. But in reality, are we any different? I think that I've seen a miracle. I told you before about when Eric was a baby and, and God healed him. I think that was a miracle. I, I genuinely think it was a miracle. There have been other times when God intervened in my life, God ministered. I wouldn't say that they were miracles when we were had virtually nothing to eat and Stephanie had gone out in the backyard. She was a little girl there was a $20 bill blowing past and she picked it up and brought it in. We were able to buy groceries. I, I don't see that as a miracle, but I see it as the involvement of God. Another time when we were in a grocery store, I found a $20 bill in the floor. We didn't have any money. We were just looking at it. We couldn't buy it. And uh, so there was a $20 bill there and we took it to the manager and I told him that I'd found the money and he said, well, if no one claims it in an hour, you can have it. So we waited an hour and then he called us and gave us the money and again, we were able to, to buy groceries. I, I don't see that as a miracle, but I do see it as the involvement of God in my life. And so probably you like I would say, there have been those times when God has worked in my life. I have prayed and God has answered my prayer. Maybe even for some of you, you have had those experiences in which you would say, well, now that, that was a miracle. But let me ask you, do you have doubts about him today? You look in the past and you see how God has provided for you, how God has taken care of you, how God has been involved in your life and he has provided for you there. But do you trust him to do that today? God, you've provided for me in the past, but I'm not sure I can trust you today.
Let me tell you the weakness of miracles. When our faith is in miracles rather than in God, we are tempted to live in past experiences. We all know churches where the people sit around and they talk about the good old days. Oh, those were the good old days. I mean, we used to see people saved. We used to see all of these things happen. Those were the good old days. And they're living in that past experience while they are dying today because of a lack of faith in God. The same thing is true with us as individuals. That's the reason that today I wouldn't ask you so much what has God done in your life in the past, but I would ask instead what is God doing in your life today? What is God doing in your life today? Or are you living in yesterday? You're living in the past. Seeing is not believing. The second lesson we learn is that obedience is not exemption. That is the uh, belief that many people have that if I'm obedient to the Lord, if I'm faithful to the Lord, then I'm exempt from the difficulties of life. That is the fallacy of the, of the prosperity gospel. There are those people who tell us that if you serve the Lord, if you're faithful to God, if you're obedient to God, then you're going to be prosperous and God is going to bless all of your life. Well, the disciples were obedient to the Lord. You'll see in verse 22, it came about on one of those days that he and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Now, the disciples were in the boat at the command of Jesus. Jesus told them to get in the boat. So they were in the boat being obedient to the Lord. But look at verse 23. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, and a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake, and they began to be in swamp and to be in danger. They were obedient to the Lord, and they are in danger. They are in the boat with the Lord, and there's a storm that comes. They were not exempt, nor was Paul. Paul was obedient to the Lord. In fact, uh, Paul says that he was always pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. Paul was obedient to the Lord, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible tells us that he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned, he suffered, and then he was executed. What I want you to understand is that he was being obedient to the Lord, and these things happened to him. Same thing was true with Jesus. Jesus was obedient to the Father. You know the story as well as I about when he was coming to the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, took Peter and James and John with him. He struggled. He was struggling in prayer. That, that, that's a story of his struggle. And there he prayed. He said, Father, if there's some way for man to be saved other than my giving of my life, if there's some way, then let this cup pass from me. And he prayed that and repeated that, but he was struggling. And then he said, but not my will, thine be done. He was obedient to the Father. Father, if this is what you're calling me to do, if this is my call in life, then I'm obedient to you. But then he suffered. He was obedient to the Father, but he suffered. 
The Bible tells us that he was slapped, his beard was plucked, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, and then he was crucified. The point I'm making is that obedience does not exempt us from the storms of life. I think that is one of the struggles that many of us have concerning the gospel. I know it has always been for me. I know people who are obedient to the Lord in their finances, they tithe, generous, all of those things, and yet they struggle financially. I know of people who have been faithful to the Lord. They love the Lord. They're faithful to the Lord, and yet they suffer. Maybe it's uh, some disease that they have. I've even known some godly people, some of the most godly people I have known. I mean, they walk with the Lord. They're faithful to the Lord. They exemplified, at least to me, Jesus and had horrible deaths. I've studied that because I think that that is one of the struggles many of us have. It was with the psalmist in the 73rd Psalm. He said, it's like I have cleansed my heart in vain. The the psalmist, as he was struggling through that, said, I see those people who are unrighteous and they're prosperous, and I see those people who are righteous and they suffer, and I don't understand that. And many of us don't as well, and so I believe that the reason for it is not that God is unfair or unfaithful, but that we live in a fallen world and sin impacts all of us. Sometimes we'd say that's not fair. But the psalmist, as he went through it, said, in the end, it's all going to be worked out. But you and I might not see it. I, I know family, families that have, have, have been faithful to, the God, to God, and they bring their children up in the church and, and in the Word of God and so forth, and then the child does not share that faith. Obedient, faithful. That also used to be a problem to me. I was reading in Ezekiel chapter 18 one time and the story is about a a bad man who had a good son and a good man who had a bad son. And the point that is made in that chapter, Ezekiel chapter 18, is that there comes a time when everyone is responsible for their own decisions. Parents, you are to be faithful in your decision, but there comes a time when your child also has to make their decision and they are responsible to God before it. So the second lesson that I learned from this passage of Scripture is that obedience is not exemption. The disciples were in the boat with Jesus, obedient to Jesus, and yet a storm came up and they were in danger. The third lesson I learned is that our faith must not be in miracles but in Him. He is to be the focus when we are going through storms, and yet it is natural for our focus to be on the storm, is it not? When you're going through a storm, where do you focus? I remember when 1989, when Hurricane Hugo came, and you know, it came up through Columbia. I'd never been in a hurricane before. I've been in a lot of tornadoes, but I had never experienced a hurricane. So, Being a man of faith that I am, I went to bed. (laughs) Linda, not having the faith that I do, didn't. I still remember her standing at the window with a flashlight because the electricity was off. 
And she'd point the flashlight out the window and then back in my face and said, look at these trees. <laughs> when we're going through storms, it is natural for us to look at the storm. When, when we're going through an illness, it is natural for us to focus on the illness and that can define us if we're not careful. When we're going through a financial difficulty, it is natural for us to focus on the difficulty of our economic status, but our focus is to be on Jesus, and when it's on Jesus, the results are greatly different. If I focus on the storm, I question his love. How can he love me and me be going through this? If I focus on him, I know that he loves me. That's the reason someone had written, when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Even when we're going through those storms of life, when we're going through the difficulties of life, God still loves us. And if you focus on him rather than the storm, you will see his love. If you focus on him, you will understand there is a purpose even in life's storms. I mentioned a while ago when Linda and I were first went in the ministry and we were in that first little church and and, and there, were, there were challenges for us as far as the finances were concerned. It wasn't that it was a stingy church. They just didn't have anything. So they were not able to give us very much. But you know what? It was during those times when we didn't have anything. During those times when we didn't have gas for the car. We didn't have food literally to eat. That I learned to trust in God. It was during those times when I had no place else to look that I learned I could look to God. When we focus on Him, we understand that He has a purpose even in the difficulties of life. He is to be our focus even in the storm. He is to be our priority and storms have a way of determining the priority of our lives. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Folks, our priority is never to be that that is temporal. Our priority is never to be that that is in this world. And you see, it is through the storms that we lose the things we believed were important and discover they weren't. Paul says everything in this life in comparison to Jesus is garbage. It is nothing when it's compared to Jesus. His kingdom and his righteousness should be our priority. And the fact is, if he fed the birds and clothed the lilies, Jesus says he's going to take care of you. If the birds can be dependent upon the Father's grace, so can you, his child. He is our victory. Storms never meant to defeat us. You'll see in verse 22 the promise it came about. On one of those days that he, is, he and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Now where were they going? What did Jesus say? To the other side. Jesus didn't say anything about them drowning in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He said, we're going to the other side. God had a destination predetermined for them. And I believe that he does for you. I'm not a fatalist. 
I'm not a fatalist at all, but I believe that God has a plan for your life. In fact, when the Lord was speaking to Jeremiah and calling him to be a prophet, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. I believe that God has a plan for your life. Now, granted, as we are pursuing God's plan for our life, as we are on the boat with Jesus, there can be interruptions before we get to the other side. And there was for the disciples, you'll see in verse 23, but, but as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. So he said, we're going to the other side, but before they got there, there was a storm that they went through. God called David to be the king of Israel. The prophet anointed him to be the king of Israel. But he did not immediately become the king of Israel. He continued as a shepherd boy, and then he was a servant to Saul. He did not immediately ascend to the throne. Israel, God said to them, I'm going to give to you the land of promise. But before they entered the land of promise, they went through the wilderness. There was an interruption. I say that to say this to you. God has a plan for your life. I really believe that. God has a plan for our lives. Sometimes as we go along, it's interrupted. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you are in that stage of interruption, but what I want you to see is that we get to the other side. The disciples got to the other side. Verse 26, and they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. They got to the other side. David did become the king of Israel, not immediately, not when he was anointed, but he did become the king of Israel. Israel did reach the promised land. God promised them that they would have a land that was flowing with milk and honey, and they entered into the promised land. They got to the other side. Now, friend... You walk with God, it probably is not going to be uninterrupted, but you will get to the other side. If we're walking with the Lord, He does not promise us that we are not going to have difficulties in life. He does not promise us that we will not face storms in life, but if He tells us we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. One day, those who put faith in Jesus Christ are going to cross Jordan and enter heaven. We get to the other side. Let me conclude. Miracles do not equal faith. Seeing a miracle may or may not enhance your faith. But seeing a miracle does not guarantee enhanced faith. Obedience is not exemption. You can be obedient to the Lord. That does not mean that you are exempt from the hardships of life. Our faith is to be in Jesus. Our eyes are focused on Him. 
and he will get you to the other side. See, we believe in miracles, but we trust in Jesus. Jesus gave the miracles to teach a lesson. And hopefully this miracle teaches us what it means to know the Lord and to walk with Him. Father in God, we come to a time of invitation and thank you for your word and for the experience had by the disciples. Lord, I would imagine that today there are those who are on the way to the other side, but maybe they're in that time of interruption. I pray that they will continue to be faithful, continue to be obedient, knowing that you will get them to the other side. I pray, Father, for those who have never trusted Christ, that they might today, in Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir will sing a hymn of invitation. If you've never trusted Christ, I pray that you'll come today. Let a staff member pray with you. If you're looking for church home, our doors are open. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do. can remain standing. I have uh, one thing to say. March the 12th, inside your bulletin, uh, 